0: here, and uh, welcome also those who are worshiping with us online. It's been a blessed season of the year when we've been able to enjoy singing all those good Christmas hymns, and Brother Dennis, you'll have to blame me for Staying in the Christmas season, Uh, I've been preaching this series on the Messiah, and I had one more sermon I just had to preach. So, so, uh, Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Brother Dennis Adams, would you lead us, please?
1: to you, to guide us through the coming year. Lord, we pray for our country through these terrible times, and we pray that you may bring us out of this place of peace, in
0: Jesus' name. Amen. The hero of this sermon today is considered to be one of the greatest men of God in the ancient world. He was a counselor to kings and a writer/ slash poet whose Holy Spirit-inspired book is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other book other than the Psalms. When Jesus preached his first sermon, he chose his text from this book. <clears throat> He was a contemporary to Amos, Hosea, and Micah, each one radically devoted to the Lord God of Israel and his purposes in the world. But this man was unique among them. He comes on the scene and unwaveringly faces the troubled times that marked the end of the 8th century B.C., With a vision of God that is so majestic and clear that you stand in awe of it. His calling from God stands as one of the most awe-inspiring experiences recorded in the pages of the Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It was during this life-shaking, heart-trembling encounter with God that this man would be thrust in onto the world scene and be moved by the Holy Spirit to say things that no one had ever said before about the glory and majesty of God and the Messiah, the Savior. God had promised to send. You've guessed his name by now, I'm sure. He is Isaiah, a man of unusual communication skills and political connections. But he is more than an influential preacher in the tiny nation of Judah. Isaiah is one of the prominent prophets in the capital city of Jerusalem who was enabled to see what God was going to do in the future, as though it had already, excuse me, my dry skin problem, as though it had already happened. He spoke revelations about God and God's Messiah that were truly miraculous in their detail and accuracy. And he spoke these words over 700 years before the birth of the Messiah and his first coming. Our text this morning is from Isaiah chapter 7. And it comes just after Isaiah answers the call of God that we just quoted from Isaiah 6. Isaiah is immediately thrust into the chaotic political nightmare that existed in the southern kingdom of Judah. Verses 1 and 2 give us the background. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria and Pekah the son of Remaliah king of Israel went up to Jerusalem to make war against it but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of the people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with wind. And so the subject this morning is the Messiah's sign. And so we're going to read the scripture from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, the resident king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Sherejah, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of resin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have plotted against you saying, let us go up against Judah and enable it and let us make a and, and trouble it, I'm sorry. And let us make a gap in the wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of table. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the hand, the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin within 65 years Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to, the, to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Despite our stumbling efforts to try to communicate the truth of your word, I pray that you would just fill us, guide us, be glorified in us in this service and this message that your will might be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've read these scriptures this morning, I hope that we have gotten the background and the, uh, the political situation that existed uh, there in the uh, 8th century B.C., uh, where this tiny little country of Judah was facing two countries who were attacking them, had defeated them, taken many people prisoners, and so forth. And so they were in desperate times. And all of us, of course, will a time, one time or another, face desperate times. All kinds of circumstances can combine to bring us to the threshold of disaster, where we have few options and time is running out. In our passage today, three factors put King Ahaz on the threshold of disaster. And just as in the case of Ahaz, it is often our own unwise decisions that bring us to that threshold of disaster. Y'all can tell I'm having trouble with my glasses today, so just bear with me. Um, so there was first factor in this time ta- fact of desperate times, a fickle man. Ahaz is likely In his early 20s, as he faces grave national crisis, he had a godly father and a godly grandfather. But as is often the case in scripture and in life, the children of the godly don't necessarily follow the path of their father and their grandfather and maybe great-grandfather. Unless a child personally investigates and chooses the truth of God's word and pursues a relationship with God in Christ through faith in Christ alone, he will one day abandon the faith of his fathers and mothers, leave the home for a hollow, fickle version of Christianity. Perhaps Ahaz thought his father and grandfather's ways were old-fashioned and out-of-date and he would bring in a new era. Or maybe Ahaz simply never bought into the god of his fathers. I don't know the backstory, but I know this much is clear. When Ahaz became king at age 20, and you can find that in 2 Kings 17 and 2, He was thoroughly secular. It's not that he wasn't religious. It's just that there was no relationship. Yahweh was just one option out of multiple choices in the religious landscape of 8th century Palestine. There is a subtle hint in our passage and an outright statement in 2 Kings 17 that indicates what Ahaz is considering to deal with the current crisis. He will attempt to form his own alliance independent of Syria and Israel. Only his alliance won't be against Syria. It will be with Assyria. So when trouble came knocking, Ahaz had no spiritual resources upon which to stand. He had not spent time during earlier days cultivating a trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had not developed his faith for the desperate times, so he failed, and his failure impacted his entire nation. The summary statement of his life and reign says it all. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Even as young King Ahaz, so many of our youth today depart from the faith of their parents and grandparents. In departing from the faith, they are departing from the truth of God's Word. And sadly, there are many broken hearts of parents and grandparents, some here today, who have seen their children. And because of their children's leaving the faith of their fathers they have caused many tears to be shed many hearts to be broken. I'm thankful for the godly heritage that I have. All of my parents and Grandparents were faithful Christians. I could go on and name all of my grandparents, great grandparents who lived godly lives. My mother's grandfather was the charter member of that little country church where I was saved. My, I have another great-grandmother. You've heard me talk about her before. You'll forgive me if I overdo it sometimes. But great-grandmother, Mary Frances Harris Thornton, my great-grandmother, was a faithful Christian, and uh, she was also a poet. And um, since this is the Christmas season, I thought I would read you the words to the poem about Christmas written by my grandmother, I'm sure she intended this to be put to music. I don't know if it ever was. It didn't make it into any hymnals. Angels sang in a joyous joyous tone. Well, this is small print. Um, Let me try again here. Uh, Angels sing in a joyous tone, Jesus the Savior to earth has come. To save from sin our lives to bless. What joys his coming to us express. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, the perfect cure for sin. This the birthday of our Savior. May it guide in our behavior. With a baby joyous, thrilling. All the Christmas hours filling. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, the perfect cure for sin. And there's two more verses to it. If you want to uh, have a look, it'll be up here and available to you. And Brother Robert has got several generations past of faithful, godly people who, who serve the Lord. And uh, I thank God for that. So again, it breaks our heart to know that we have grandchildren and great-grandchildren who won't know the Lord through simple repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But the second factor in this desperate time in ancient Jerusalem, a fearful assault. In 734 B.C., Syria and the southern kingdom of Israel joined forces to invade Judah. This alliance was formed because of a growing menace that was bearing down on Palestine, the mighty Assyrian army. The war machine of Syria was legendarily ruthless in gobbling up city after city, as they expand their kingdom. Israel, against the counsel of God's prophets, formed an alliance with Syria in an effort to defend against what they knew was coming. But they weren't strong enough, so they attacked Judah with the the goal of deposing Ahaz and placing their own king on the throne. Although they had depopulated much of Judah, taking almost a quarter million prisoners back with them, verse 2 tells us that Ahaz is panic-stricken and by what looks like the imminent invasion by Syria and Israel. The third factor in this desperate time was a foolish solution. There's a subtle hint in our passage and an outright statement in 2 Kings 17 that indicates that Ahaz is pondering he will attempt to form his own alliance independent of Assyria and Israel, only his alliance won't be against Assyria, it would be with Assyria. You can feel the dead and dread and desperation in Ahaz's reasoning. If Syria and Israel Take us, I will be removed, imprisoned, and probably killed. But maybe if I can buy a serious good favor by sending them tribute and submit to them before they take us by force, I will survive, and so will Judah. It sounds good on paper, but as he will soon find out, this is rather like a mouse currying the favor of a cat to help him fight against two rats. In the end, he still gets eaten alive. So into this fearful hour comes Isaiah with a word from God. Verse 3 tells us that the prophet finds the king doing a careful inspection of Jerusalem's critical water supply as he evaluates whether Judah can hold out until Syria comes to the rescue. Isaiah gives Ahaz insight into the spiritual reality of the situation. Look at verse 3 through 9. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son, Shear-Jashub to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the Fuller's field. Say to him, Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint hearted because of these two smoldering stubs of firebrands. Resin of Aram and the son of Remaliah. For Aram along with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has plotted harm against you. They say let us go up against Judah, terrorize it and c- conquer it for them ourselves. Then we can install our own puppet king on the throne of Judah. This is what the Lord God says. It will not happen. It will not occur. The head of Aram in Damascus, the head of Damascus in Rezin, within 65 years of Ephraim, will be shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim in Samaria... And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Isaiah is used of God to bring three missing realities to Ahaz. God always has a word for you in the day of your trouble. How many times has God used seemingly incidental things to remind us that he is there handling more than we can see involved, intervening healing, directing if only we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it here is the royal and his attendants busily and earnestly inspecting the security of the water supply when Up walks Isaiah, hand in hand with his young son. Hebrew names were often common, common words that conveyed a certain meaning or purpose to the hearer. Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And Shir Jashub's name means a remnant shall remain. Ahaz, this father and son, Was a living reminder of God's ability to save and persevere and preserve. So, what has God been trying to get across to you or to me lately? God is always bigger than you fear. Isaiah says it every way it can be said in verse 4. Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint-hearted because of these two smoldering stubs of firebrands, resin of Aram and the son of Ramaliah. In other words, there is no need to investigate your defenses or make heroic decisions or firm, questionable alliances. Ahaz, don't you realize that you're dealing, what you're dealing with? Rezin has jurisdiction over Israel. Pekah has jurisdiction over Syria. But I rule the world. Syria and Israel are just smoldering stubs of firebrands. They're smoke, but no fire. In 65 short years, they will be rebel. Ahaz, you have heard their pledge to conquer Judah. Now I will tell you what will happen. Nothing. They are no threat to you. They will never attack. Stop living by sight and start believing that if I am for you, no one can be against you. Trust me. Do do you believe this about God, that what you fear most is not too difficult for him? Will you trust him when the chips are down and you're Resources are spent, and you're tired, and it's tense at home. Isaiah adds an incentive right here. That is so important. If you don't fight the fight of faith, everything in your life will come unglued. Verse 9 states this spiritual principle. If you do not stand firm in your faith then you will not stand at all. If you don't nail down your confidence in God beyond the circumstances, if you don't hold fast to the one who made you and controls what happens in your life, you will be winging it without him. If you will not trust him, you will not make it, Ahaz. But if you will lean on God, you will get all the help you need. If you will depend on him, he will meet you right where you are and help you take the next step and the next and the next. God was calling Ahaz to align himself to the spiritual reality. I am with you always. He was asking him to be a follower of God first and then a politician to be a man of faith rather than a man of sight, to believe in God rather than trusting in the flesh. And it's at this moment that something so amazing, so outright incredible is uttered that if it wasn't printed in God's word, I would not believe it. For right here in the surrounded city of Jerusalem, With all kinds of pressures and fears crowding in on Ahaz, Isaiah describes describes God's Christmas intentions in a way that quicken our pulse and put hope in our hearts. Let's call it Miraculous Incentive. First, the introduction. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a sign from the Lord, your God, from the depth of Sheol to the heights of heaven. Do you see what is being offered to Ahaz? I am calling you to trust me and to show you that I am more than able to handle your dilemma. Just ask me for a sign and Ahaz, make it a humdinger. Reach for the stars. Let your imagination run wild. You name it, and I'll show you what I'm capable of. Now you that. Now with that offer from God, Ahaz plays at being religious. In verse twelve, he answers, "I will not ask. I will not test the Lord." That sounds really pious. But it was just a cover up designed to conceal the fact that Ahaz had already made up his mind. Well, that was the moment for Isaiah. He turns from talking to the king to speaking to fellow Hebrews who were no doubt gathered nearby to see why the king was inspecting the water supply. We know he is addressing the crowd rather than supply the King, because he says in verses 13 and 14, Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of God? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God himself will perform this sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. This is strongly emphasized by Isaiah. God will personally see to all of the details. This won't have any other possible explanation except that it is a miracle from God. The sign is meant to get our attention. The sentence in verse 14 begins with the word listen or behold, which grabs our attention and calls us to be alert for the appearance of this sign and see what it means. This sign proved God can do whatever he wills. The word sign is defined as a signal, a beacon, a monument, something obvious that serves the purpose of pointing us to a deeper <coughs> a deeper truth, namely that God is intervening that he's at work, that he's on duty, accomplishing what he intends in every situation. This sign involves the birth of a son after an impossible pregnancy. The word for virgin in verse 14 refers to an unmarried woman who hadn't had sexual relations with a man. Isaiah is telling Ahaz and us to be looking for a miracle of creation that transcends natural laws. Ahaz, find a pregnant woman who has never been married and has been chaste in all her dealings with men. This is my work. I am the cause. See it as evidence, as a monument, a signal that I will do what I purpose. And none can stay my hand. The son would be God incarnate. The name Emmanuel literally means the strong God with us. In other words, it is God himself who is coming. He will set right what is wrong. He will change everything. Don't doubt Ahaz. Believe, if my spirit can overshadow a virgin and my power rest upon her so that what is conceived in her is from me and I can protect you from any danger you may face, provide for any need you may have, and guide you to the exact center of my will, trust me. Trust me, Ahaz. Don't rely on what men our armies of coalition forces can do, lean on me. 700 years after Isaiah spoke these words, a teenage girl who was betrothed to marry a man named Joseph had a visit from an angel who told her that she was to be the human vehicle through whom the Messiah of God would come. And somewhere in the confusion of this surprising and miraculous pregnancy, we read the quote from the, an old prophet who stood toe-to-toe with a king and announced to anyone who had ears to hear, there is nothing too difficult for God. He is pointing coming to this very city. It will be for <clears throat> all... <clears throat> It will be for all people. Trust him with your problems. Believe his promises. Hang on when it feels too hard to hang on. And you will see what God can do. And I pray that God will speak to each of our hearts today the message and the lesson that he wants us to hear as brother... Dennis comes to lead us in our hymn of invitation. And if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today as we continue to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, our Savior, today would be the day for you to just in your heart confess your sins, receive Jesus as your Savior.